0: I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. On today's episode, I am chatting with Lewis Shorstead. Lewis is a developmental editor, writing craft author, and the founder of the novel Smithy. In his free time, he is a lover of video games and travel, as well as the steward of a very creaky sailboat. When he is not working on stories of his own, he spends his time teaching up-and-coming writers the skills they need to write their dream novels. Welcome to the show, Lewis.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be
0: here. Yay, I'm so glad to have you and to finally meet you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: Um, well, your, your intro kind of cover the highlights. <laughs> I am a, I am a developmental editor and a book coach. I've uh, been doing this for quite a few years now. And I honestly, most of my life is work at this point. We're sort of in a really busy, busy season of life. Um, wow. But, but, but yeah, steward of a very creaky, very uh, complaining sailboat. Uh, I joke that I'm a discount Disney princess, I find strange animals wherever I go and make <laughs> friends with them. Right now we have a, a bird named Noodle that likes to fight with the windows of where we're living. Uh, he'll yes. come up and attack it, hence Noodle, because he's hit his head so many times that it's just spaghetti in there. Oh um, my goodness. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's always fun <laughs>
0: yeah. where we are. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is too funny. Well, how did you get into the developmental editing have you always been a writer
1: i started out as a writer um really young but there was always sort of the belief of i needed to get a quote unquote real job and that writing was not a real job and so i sort of went through my my school years uh sort of stepping back from writing more and more And then went to college, got a totally unrelated degree, uh, graduated and realized there was no career in the degree I got, ironically, and um, was fortunate enough that I had space and sort of the ability in in life to say, well, I'll spend, you know, I'll spend a year focusing all my energy on my work writing and also my work um, editing. I had been doing editing for for friends and acquaintances on just sort of a personal basis for a long time, but not professionally. And I was fortunate enough to be able to step back and say, you know, I can, I can give this a shot. I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, and ironically, the thing that I was always told, like, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a good career, do this on the side, ended up being my career. And the thing I got a degree in is just the thing I nerd out about occasionally. Uh, on the weekends when the mood strikes me.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. It's funny how life so. works out that way.
1: <laughs> life? Yeah. If anyone anyone who tells you life is a linear path is uh is selling you something.
0: <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. I I feel that a lot myself. Things I thought I would be doing when I was, you know, like 18 versus 25 to what I'm doing now is totally not what I would have mm-hmm. planned or expected in my life. So, but it was a pleasant surprise. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it has a way of working out in the long term.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So when did you make this leap or this switch to become the editor? How long have you been doing that?
1: Um, I've been doing it for just over five years now. Wow. So entering okay. into, I believe, actually, I believe July 1st is uh, the start of my sixth year. So nice. it's been a little while. It's been a little while.
0: Yeah. So since you went from like, well, I'll give it a one-year shot, you've now making it to almost the start of your six. That's amazing. Congratulations. It's exciting.
1: Um, those six years have not all been the same. Some have been <laughs> very different than others as I kind of figured out how I wanted to do things. But um, it definitely feels like we're sort of settling in now to, oh, okay, this is what this is going to look like long-term, which is nice. Um, I have a group of students that I work with you know, regularly. I have names I recognize. Um you know, editing clients that that I've been working with for years now uh and it's always it's always very rewarding to get off a call with with one of them and just be like, we made some really big breakthroughs. We're doing really good work and being able to see how much things have grown over the last you know year or year and a half. Um, it's yeah, it's really a joy. I'm very fortunate, <laughs>
0: yeah, so if someone comes to you with i forgive me for maybe not knowing the right terms, but let's like a very rough draft. They've got everything down on paper now and they've done some editing themselves, but now they're approaching you as a professional. How long does that process take to get it to be the end product?
1: It That's a loaded question okay. <laughs> only because it's so um, varied. It is. It's very varied. Um, I have one student that I work with who is writing full time. Uh, you know, this is what she does. And so she has a lot more time available. Yeah. And she's also just a very fast writer. Um, she's, I believe she's starting on her seventh novel. And so she's done this a couple times. She has sort of a rhythm and a routine. Um, and so she doesn't need me as much. And so I sort of step in for the things that are just sort of walls she hits that she's just really stuck on. And we sort of work it out together and we sort of hone and refine. But she's really able to just kind of chug along and make process make progress because she has a really strong process uh and so for her a novel might take her three or four months which is very fast okay whereas i have other uh clients who have been working on their novels for 10 years um because it's been more stop and start they haven't really known where to go at each stage of the process and they've sort of come to me now And we've been working together for maybe 18 months to two years. um, And a lot of our work has been sort of going back and looking at what they've created and trying to see like, okay, how can we, how can we make sense of this? Often they'll have three or four drafts that don't necessarily all connect, but they want to use parts of all of them. And so we'll, it's a lot of like playing Tetris, you know, you're sort of connecting pieces together. Um, And for them, they don't have the time to do it full time. And so it's. It's just sort of fitting in in the gaps of their life, um, but either way, sort of the end result is the same. I I try to tell all of the writers I work with, you know, regardless of whether they're more on the speed demon side with my one student or whether they're going to take ten years to write their novel, um, as long as the as long as the end result is something they're really proud of, it's worth all that time, whatever that. However, that sort of unfolds for them.
0: Yeah. As I have spoken to more people on the show and including authors, I just have to applaud them for their perseverance of spirit to stick with the project that long. I'm like, I don't know if I would have that in me mm-hmm. to stick with that. So, but if you're passionate, right. And you're, you know, what you're getting in the end is something you're so proud of, I imagine it is worth the time and effort.
1: <laughs> it's um, I would say that the, the most common thing I've heard And I, you know, certainly not universal. Every writer is a little bit different, but one of the most common things I've heard from the writers I've worked with is that the story that they're trying to tell is like core to who they are as a person. Um, You know, even, even my student who's written seven novels, you know, and so she's constantly creating new stories, but the like kernel of all of them is core to who she is as a person. And, And I think that makes it a little easier to sustain it across a really long period of time because, you know, even just to speak from my my own experience, I'm also a writer uh, alongside all my work as an editor, and I have stories that I've been sort of tinkering with on the back burner. You know, I'll I'll come back to them every couple of months and I'll tweak some stuff and I'll write a little bit more and then I'll sort of set them aside because life is pulling me in a different direction. Sure. Um, that I've been doing for 15 years now. And it just sort of, it just sort of lives in your brain. And it might be dormant for a long time, but you'll experience something in life that kind of lights that spark again. And you'll dive back in and feel so inspired and so energized. And you might write for six months and then life gets busy again, life gets hectic or weird. And you sort of say, okay, I've sort of done the progress I can do right now. I'm going to sort of Press pause and step back for a minute, and then when life opens up again, I'll I'll sort of return to this. Um, so it is it, it you know not to discount how hard it is to sort of sustain a project like that over such a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the work I do is helping writers make more time. Um, usually the writers who come to me have reached a point where they're like, I'm ready to get this done. Like, I'm ready to make this a priority. I'm ready to get this novel finished. And so a lot of the work I do is helping them figure out how to make it more of a priority, how to sustain that, that more sort of energized, inspired state so that they can, can keep writing. And so it doesn't have to necessarily take another 10 years to get done. Um, But I also know many writers who have just sort of, Plotted along over time and then finish their novel, and they're, they're perfectly happy. So it really depends on the person, I think.
0: Yeah. And that I think is true for all of us, right? As we all tick differently about certain things, and we all have different timelines and the way we work. So I think that's beautiful. Listeners, we should probably tell you that his, his company name is The Novel Smithy. And can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you? And do you specialize in certain types of writing? Or you know, who should approach you? services.
1: So yes, so I run uh, I run the Novel Smithy, and I also run a um, sort of writing program called the Forge. That's sort of uh, an offshoot of the Novelsmithy. Um, best place to find me is just thenovelsmithy.com. Uh, everything is sort of sort of linked to there, but I'm sort of a weird case in that um, sort of a lot of my colleagues in the space work with specific genres. Um, okay. I know a, a lovely developmental editor who works only with thriller writers and she's fantastic at what she does, but she sort of has very narrowly focused in that way. And I specialize more in sort of the stage of the writing process that they're in.
0: Okay.
1: So, you know, I certainly have exceptions to this rule and some of the students I've worked with, especially some of my students who've been with me for a long time, have sort of graduated beyond this point. but. I primarily work with writers who are in what I like to call the messy middle. And it's this sort of, you're not a beginner anymore, but you're not, it's not smooth sailing. You aren't totally confident in what you're doing. You're sort of in this gap where you know enough about the writing craft that you have sort of this big vision of what you want to create and you're able, and you're able to sort of make more, um, more objective critical calls on how your, your novel is working or not, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. as a beginner, we dive in and we're just there for the love of writing, which is fantastic and a great stage to be in. But we don't always see some of the stuff that is is objectively sort of not working where our vision isn't coming through okay. in our story once you reach the messy middle, you've started to learn enough that you can say like, oh, this isn't working or that isn't working, or I'm not quite happy with this. You become a little bit more critical of your own work, but you don't yet have the skills to address those things. And so you're in that kind of messy middle where you know what you wanna create, but you just can't quite get there yet. Um, And so I like to work with writers in that stage because it's where I feel like I can make the most difference. It's, uh, it's the stage where I find most novels die um, okay. because you hit that wall and it's sort of, it can be scary. There's a lot of self-doubt that happens at, at that stage. There's a lot of the sort of raw frustration of, you can see the story in your head. You can see where you're going. You know what you need to do. You're just not quite at a level where you can do it. Um, and so I sort of step in to help writers at that stage do some of the really foundational work they need to overcome it. You know, I I like to sort of pull them back to the beginning of their story and figure out, you know, what is their writing process going to look like? What is a good writing process for them as a writer that helps them find some clarity and helps them sort of streamline things so they're not doing the same work twice, you know? So they're not just sort of diving into, into their draft, finding a problem, panicking, putting on a band-Aid and then continuing without addressing the core of where that problem is coming from. Um, so we do a lot of that foundational work, a lot about giving that them that really steady base to build from so that they can then go out and sort of gain those more advanced skills, uh, sort of writing craft skills that allow them to reach that stage where their novel starts to just flow, it starts to just make sense, they start to find their confidence again. And that that is sort of where I'll often uh, release them into the world uh, to sort of continue because they've they're at a point where they're sort of steady and self-sufficient. They know what they need to do and they're able to do it. Um, And I and I sort of give them the thumbs up and and they sort of graduate beyond me at that point. Uh, Although I certainly have a few who have hung around because they we just vibe and they uh, they like that support.
0: Yeah. I am actually a physical therapist by trade Mm -hmm. when I'm out of the world, out of my home world, I guess. Um, But it's interesting as you're talking, I'm like, I almost feel like you're a book therapist of sorts. (laughs) You're like giving people the tools, you're helping them solve the problem, giving them the tools to do it, and then saying, okay, the rest you got to take from here, right? You got to do this independent of me, but I'm going to help get you there. And I feel like that's what I do as a physical therapist. So that's so funny.
1: I I, I imagine it is fairly similar. Um, I feel like, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, Ira Glass's The Taste Gap quote, oh, talking no. about in, in any creative endeavor, um, there's a gap where you have good taste, you know what you want to do, but you aren't quite able to do it yet. And how that's so frustrating for an artist, but I, it's also, I'm sure, frustrating for anyone in any endeavor, you know, physical therapy, they're trying to, you know, I admittedly know nothing about physical therapy. So this <laughs> all is probably incorrect, but they're trying to you know, build up their core and like improve their posture or whatever yeah. they're sort of dealing with. And there's going to be that gap when you, you sort of reach that middle ground where you, you just kind of have to push through, um, and having guidance to help you push through that can be really deeply valuable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I love that. I love that little connection there. But as you were talking, that was just what I was thinking about. I was like, gosh, it's very similar, totally different worlds. But I feel like it translates very similar. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, so listeners we will have in the show notes where you can find Lewis on the novel Smithy. We'll have the link to that in the show. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit. And why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are as a reader? So what genres do you enjoy?
1: I am a huge uh fantasy person Love it. but i'm i'm sort of in a like specific subgenre of fantasy in terms of like my guilty pleasure reads that like all i want to read is just this yep and it's that like historical fantasy blend where and it, i all or both of the um novels that i sort of brought to talk about today are sort of in this camp so you'll get to hear me nerd out about that a lot but My degree is actually in, uh, history and political science. And so that sort of is my, my like academic brain just loves that kind of stuff. And so when I pick up a novel and it's got all the sort of fantastical elements that I really enjoy about fantasy, you know, there's a certain level of magic in the world. There's a certain unpredictability of like spirits and creatures and, and all these cool things to discover, um, it's very much feels like exploration, but there it's grounded in a sense of a real historical place or a real historical time, um, and I just love that. It just it just lights up every part of my brain. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, that is so fun because I, admittedly, love historical fiction, and I yeah. never thought I liked fantasy, and that was actually the whole reason this show stemmed from that. Was I was like, well, why don't I start? talking to friends about genres that I don't always read because I wanted to expand my reading horizons Since I've always have been that way. I've tried to read, not get stuck right in mm-hmm. one, cause there's so many beautiful books out there to read. But I'm like, what if I just start talking to friends and have a trusted source of a recommendation of someone that reads this genre regularly so they know what they're talking about. Right. And they can come on and recommend three books in this book flight format. So here we are. And it started with fantasy. That was where I started. Cause I'm like, I always say I don't like that, but I've never tried it, so I need to try it. And mm. here we are today at Bookish Flights. So,
1: <laughs> well, if you wanna, if you wanna dip your toe into the like historical bent fantasy world, um, both of these are truly fantastic books. I wholeheartedly recommend them.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's what I was gonna say. Is this is gonna be a great episode because it's gonna blend the two for me. And I found now that I've read some fantasy, I really enjoy it. I actually love it because I feel like. I can kind of escape reality with mm-hmm. them, right? And I'm not, you know, mired in everyday life. It's like, no, nope, mm-hmm. I get to step into a different world. And I find that that's really fun.
1: Um, it's, it's really fun that you say that because something that we talk about sort of in my sphere uh, as an editor is understanding what your readers are looking for based on the genre you're writing in. So, you know, there's this idea that every genre has sort of a central conceit or a central promise. Okay. And it's it's very fun that you say that because the central cons- conceit of fantasy is is letting the reader escape, usually. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the dominant sort of promise of the genre is we're going to take you somewhere else and we're going to let you just sort of escape from the world you're in and sink into this other place and explore it and experience it fresh for the first time, because it's not like our real world. Um, And, you know, compared to something like romance where the central promise is like, we're going to, we're going to make you feel in love again, or this, you know, uh, sci-fi, the central promise of like, you know, making you feel like intelligence and that, that feeling of exploration. Um, Sci-fi and fantasy are similar in that way, but they just take it from a slightly different angle um sci-fi is very future looking fantasy is very historical looking oh, okay. um even if it's not historical fantasy sure. it it draws on historical elements historical time periods uh in sort of interesting ways so yeah yeah
0: that's my so little nice. bit of
1: writing nerdiness for the, yeah, <laughs> for the thank podcast thank you for
0: sharing that with us because that is i definitely feel that but i didn't know even that this was a thing right i mean it makes sense but um Okay, and then in your busyness of your schedule, how do you find time to read?
1: The problem is that I didn't for a very long time actually. <laughs> and you caught me at a good time because I'm uh, I'm slowly trying to reincorporate reading for fun into into my life. Um, I read all day for work. I sure. read client manuscripts. Uh, I do comp research for their books. I read, you know, for research to help with their novels. Um, so I'm basically always reading for work. And wow. for a long time, that kind of burnt me out on reading, actually. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who had a similar experience in college, like having yeah. to read books for college sort of took away some of the love of just reading for fun because they were a little bit burnt out. Yeah, um, I see that. Yeah. And, and so for a long time, I I was still reading for fun, but not nearly like I used to. Uh, and I've been slowly trying to move back to that. And one thing that I've been not completely successful on. Life has been very hectic and busy the last uh, couple months. But one thing I've been trying to do is that Friday afternoons are just my reading time. Uh, nice. I sort of end work early. I'm I'm fortunate that I'm my own boss, so I can kind of yeah. do that. Um, even if I don't read the rest of the week, I'll I'll always try to read something for fun Friday afternoons and just spend four or five hours. Uh, in a book for my own sake. And I haven't, I haven't hit every week, but it's, it's been very satisfying. And I'm, I'm very excited to make that a more consistent routine going forward.
0: Yeah. Sounds like a very attainable goal. I like it.
1: I love to eventually work up to all day Friday, but you know, (laughs) we got to work with what we've got.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And then, so today you've been so gracious and you've prepared a book flight for us on historical fantasy, which I'm very excited to hear about. Why don't you tell us what the first book of the pairing is today?
1: So the first one is Daughter of the Forest by Juliet Marler, which uh, sort of introduced me to historical fantasy uh, as a much younger person and sort of sparked this love. It's okay. the first thing I think of whenever I ever tell anyone about it. So I'm very excited to share it with you.
0: Yes, I've not heard of this one. So can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, Daughter of the Forest by Juliet Marler is a fantasy novel that's sort of set in a fictionalized version of sort of early Ireland. Okay. Um, it's, and that's what's really cool about it. That's sort of what I mentioned. Of as you're reading it, it, it's very clear where it's taking place. All the character names. All the place names, um, the sort of the structures, that, you know, down to like the architecture and the sort of environment. It all, it all triggers that part of your brain that says, "Oh, I I know what this is." You know, I know where we are. Even if you've never been to, you know, Ireland, um, or even never been to rural Ireland, which is sort of where it takes place. Uh, usually, you know enough about it. You know, you know little pieces to be able to say, like, okay this feels like a very real place and so but it takes place in a in a fantasy world and so in in the story it's very real in that it's it's the sort of social dynamics that you would expect it's sort of you know the the sort of politics of this world as they're sort of jockeying with neighboring kingdoms um but there's also fey that are real there's uh sort of curses and spells that are real but they're presented in this very matter of fact grounded way of just yeah like this is just what our life is like in the same way that you talk about like oh traffic was really bad this morning um and so it's very cool because it, you know one of the wonderful things about fantasy is how fantastical it can be and how absolutely wild some fantasy can get which i love i mean truly it's so satisfying but fantasy also can fall into the trap of like, it's so fantastical that it's kind of hard for readers to to just sort of accept it. You know, yeah. obviously we know it's not real, but to just sort of sink into it and let ourselves accept it while we read. Um, it can be so fantastical as to be a little bit silly sometimes, which is satisfying in its own way. But... Daughter of the Forest really struck me as, I think I read it in middle school for the first time, which it is definitely not a middle grade novel for anyone <laughs> listening. I would not hand it to your eight-year-old, okay. but <laughs> I got my hands on it. Um, and uh, and what struck me about it was just how how it almost tricked my brain into being like, oh, clearly curses are absolutely real. Like, clearly all of the things that are happening in this story are just 100% normal the same way that like you know dogs are real um and that that sort of that book was the first book i read like that that sort of ignited my love of that sort of very specific aspect of fantasy and sort of influenced a lot of my writing and a lot of what i like to read to this day um and it's yeah it's it's truly a a lovely book
0: (laughs) that sounds amazing so one thing I love about historical fiction is I feel like I'm learning at the same time or I'm getting mm-hmm. to experience the place. So it sounds like you're getting to do that within this as well. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. not specifically saying it's Ireland, but you know very much that it is, right, by the names and the the descriptions of the place. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you could be learning at the same time while reading a fantasy novel, which just sounds like the perfect combination.
1: It's sort of a lovely combo between like... You know memoir or any of those any of those books you read that even if they're a little bit fictionalized they're very much someone's real story in a real place and those are awesome to read because they really do they really do put you in someone else's perspective and they let you see a different part of the world that you might never get to experience yourself um but sometimes you want that escape and so what i loved about this book and sort of the, the other book that I brought is that it has that sense of like, I feel like I'm reading a, a memoir or a biography or an autobiography almost, but it's, it's sort of faster paced and a little bit more energetic and sort of fantastical in that way that is like satisfying about reading, you know, a novel about like talking dragons you know it's like it sort of blends those two worlds in a way that's that's really satisfying especially for my sort of history nerd brain that's just you know i might be a unique case in that way
0: (laughs) no it sounds really interesting to me so uh, as well and i wouldn't call myself a history buff by any means but Mm -hmm. i do enjoy historical fiction so um okay is there anything else you'd like to add about that book
1: I actually realized I didn't tell you what the book was about. <laughs> I got oh so excited goodness. about the, about the historical aspect. So just to sort of run everyone through real quick, sort of the premise yeah. of the book, uh, no spoilers, but Thank you. it is basically a, uh, a, it's a retelling of sort of a really classic fairy tale, but sort of with enough twists that I don't want to reveal the fairy tale because it'll spoil some stuff, Okay, but it's essentially, um, follows uh scorcha a sort of young woman she's the daughter of a sort of local leader um she's not really a princess in the way that you think of in a lot of sort of classic fantasy she's just sort of a kid and she's the daughter of or she's the youngest daughter of like seven older brothers (laughs) um so she's just this like little baby among all these these older brothers that are protective and sort of quirky you know you really get to to meet all of these characters and it is such a joy and in sort of very classic fantasy or fairy tale fashion her life sort of falls apart when her uh father remarries and her stepmother is not a good person and sort of triggers a cascade of events that result in curses being placed on people and um invaders sort of invading her not really kingdom, but sort of her home, uh, you know, town. And she ends up going on this sort of long journey of growing up and sort of stepping into herself and taking over this position of leadership that she never felt like was hers because she had seven older brothers. They sure. they were in charge. She's she was just kind of tagging it. along. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's this really fantastic story of sort of her growing up and it's, you know, I say that in that, like, oh, it sounds like a coming of age story. And it is to some extent, but not in the way that you might think of, like the classic coming of age story, that's just sort of hopeful and lighthearted. You know, it can be a, it can be a dark book at times. Um, She deals with some very intense things. But in the process, she sort of finds her strength and sort of meets some really amazing people and sort of rebuilds, her world in her own image in a way that's very powerful, um, and I'm trying very hard to dance around because there's there's some specific aspects that if I spoil them, you'll immediately know the ending, and I, that would be horrible because yes. it's such a lovely book. Um, but that's sort of the main thrust of the book, and so you get that really sort of classic fantasy like curses and you know the fae spirits and like all of these things you know there's sort of dream worlds that occur. Um, so there's always sort of a new thing coming around the corner. But it's all grounded in a story that's incredibly relatable and feels very real and is grounded in a very real place, um, which is, which makes it all feel like that much more impactful as you read it.
0: Oh, well, sold. (laughs) You sold me on it. I'm definitely going to read it. I just finished a fantasy book this past week and I actually had a little bit of a book hangover from it. I'm like, where do I go from here? Right. I was so (laughs) invested in the story, but maybe I'll pick this one up. Cause I'm feeling like I want to stick in the fantasy world right mm-hmm. now. Cause I loved that one so much. So I'm like, I want to keep in this vein. I'm really enjoying it. So
1: maybe this will be a, a good transition into a more like a uh, realistic world. And then you can sort of go from there. But yeah, I highly recommend this book and it's a whole series. Um, this oh, is the cool. first okay. book. I think there's seven novels in the series. Um, and I hate to say this cause it's such a cliche. The first three are the best. Okay. the next four i think were written many years after the original three um and they're still great but they're not as impactful as the first three the first three okay. uh will always have a place on my bookshelf as a rule forever
0: awesome, <laughs> so. awesome. well thank you so that was the daughter of the forest by juliet marilier
1: Mar uh to be honest, I've never actually heard her name pronounced okay. by her, so I've just sort of pronounced it my way. I don't know the correct way. That's yeah. awful.
0: Okay, well, I'm not sure either. So, okay, <laughs> what is the next book of the pairing today?
1: So, the next book is uh, Circe by Madeline Miller. Um, okay. This is a much more recent read, both for me and a more recent uh, release, um, and it is it sort of is in the similar vein as daughter of the forest in that it's fantasy. It's very clearly fantasy. Uh, it is about one of, um, well it's about Circe, but it's about one of the sort of characters of Greek mythology, um, who is very much not real, but it's her life. Uh, it's almost autobiographical in a really fascinating way as she sort of goes through her life. Um, as sort of one of the, the lesser like unwanted uh, gods almost and sort of stepping into herself and sort of carving out her own space in this world that has no particular interest in her. Um, it's very powerful in that way. Similar again to sort of Daughter of the Forest and that it's this character stepping into themselves and sort of carving out this sanctuary for themselves in a, in a somewhat hostile world. Um, but it's sort of based in Greek mythology. But it's, again, it, it it addresses it in this such a matter-of-fact way where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, harpies are just kind of a thing. And they're just here and they're just normal and everyone's used to them. You know, we all <laughs> expect it. it. It really is like reading, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey where it's written in a way where you just are like, oh, yeah, they're absolutely once upon a time were harpies and Sea monsters, and you know, the gods would come down from Olympus every so often and you know, meddle in everyone's lives. And that was just mm-hmm. life. That was just normal. Um and and it draws upon some of those familiar elements that you might know from Greek mythology or just know from history, um, and builds this incredibly detailed, sort of almost like gritty in its realism world, the sort of details that she pulls in. Um, it's a, it's a very striking book to read, Yeah, uh, not for the faint of heart, but a striking book nonetheless. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed this one myself. And I remember taking Greek mythology in college and, you know, just getting by in mm-hmm. the class. Right. I'm like, well, this is just a gen ed and I'm just taking this to get the grade I need. And I'm not going to use this later on. Right. And, mm-hmm. but having read Circe, I'm like, it opened up this whole world of like, well, maybe I missed something when I was just skimming to get through the class, right? And I was like, I want to read more. It really opened that door of I would love to read more books like that because it made it, like you said, so mm-hmm. relatable and real to our world despite being in these Greek mythology stories from long ago. <laughs>
1: Did you um have you read any of uh Madeline Miller's o- other books after you read? I Cersei? read Song
0: of Achilles. Okay, as I was well. about to say that one. Yeah.
1: I didn't bring that one only because I felt like Circe and Daughter of the Forest like were a very good match. Uh but Song of Achilles was like, oh my god. <laughs> I love yes. that book.
0: Yes, but once you once you said that about the world, you know, that mm-hmm. they've both created, I'm like, yes, that is the right, that is perfect mm-hmm. for a book flight because it totally matches in that realm.
1: And I also love um They both, so to sort of get into some sort of nerdy uh, writing craft stuff, um, but they both have really interesting heroines. Um, Fantasy, and this has been changing for many years, which is, is great, but fantasy, I feel like traditionally was a very sort of like, quote unquote, masculine genre in that it was it was a, it was very much written from the male perspective, oftentimes. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of sort of tropes in fantasy that are kind of dismissive towards women. The, like the trope of like the mom always dies, like the mom character is always just there to be killed so that the story can happen. And I'm like, that is, come on, we can do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think part of what struck me about these two books when I read them, not that those sort of more masculine perspectives aren't, valuable or interesting in their own way but these two were so striking because they were a very feminine perspective and they were very much about these sort of heroines um stepping into themselves and very much about their identity as people and sort of how they're going to exist in this world um and that's just they they were very powerful and they were very striking uh, in that way and kind of refreshing in you know I think I read Cersei off the tail of reading like three sort of more classic uh, fantasy novels that all had male protagonists that were all more about sort of going out into the world and like killing things and dominating things. And, you know, sort of through through physical action, sort of carving out this space, um, which was energizing and interesting and exciting in its own way. But it was nice to sort of step back and read a novel that was more just about the character figuring out, you know, who am I as a person? What is my place in this world as a person? Um, And it was more sort of, it was more emotional in that way. And it was very satisfying to read at that point.
0: And what I think you said about both of them is that they took that and then they created this world from Mm -hmm. that as well, which I think would be a beautiful, almost kind of transformation in the story, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, both. You know, obviously, you're familiar with um, Cersei, but and I don't. Again, I don't want to spoil anything for readers who aren't, because I wholeheartedly recommend both books. But sort of the ending of Cersei, uh, not to spoil anything, but as she sort of, as she sort of overcomes the conflict of the story and sort of carves out this space for herself, um, that is very much mirrored in Daughter of the Forest. As sort of okay. you reach the end of the story and the world is crazy and everything's sort of gone to hell. And, you know, you get to follow along with this character who, in figuring out who they are and what role they want to play in their life, they also are able to sort of find their own power and and create a sanctuary for themselves in this really richly detailed historical world. And so it all just feels so powerfully real. Um, and And almost like, I wish I was in this place. I wish I was sort of yeah. there with them. Um, and that's, that's just lovely in in a world that's been really bizarre the last couple of years. That's really lovely.
0: (laughs) Yes. So listeners, you need to read these back to back so you can do this comparison between the two. I think that would be really fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely recommend it.
0: All right. So that was Circe by Madeline Miller. And then what is the last book of the pairing today?
1: So the last book is kind of an odd one out uh, because it's nonfiction. It is not a novel, but it is The Virgin's Promise by Kim Hudson. So I mentioned how sort of both of the novels that I brought were uh, very much about heroines, very much about sort of their identity and sort of how, you know, their sort of place and how they move through these worlds. And... To sort of bring in kind of the the craft nerdiness, the sort of structure and storytelling skills that I work with writers on, um, Divergence Promise is a sort of writing skills book that talks about how to write heroines. Um, There's sort of a a framework that we use in the writing space called The Hero's Journey that... uh, Created by Joseph Campbell, I believe, in the seventies, he was sort of a a professor who studied mythology sort of around the world, and he kind of developed this system for conceptualizing mythology uh, that he called the hero's journey. But as as great as the hero's journey is, and as much as writers still use it to this day, um, it's almost a standard in in like most Hollywood, you know, movie writing. It's it's still very much in use it it presents a very sort of male perspective of the world. And it is very dismissive of female characters, okay. which is, again, it's like, it's 2023. We can do better. <laughs> yeah. Not that I don't love the hero's journey and respect the work that Campbell did. Um, it has holes in it in that way. And so Kim Hubs- Hudson in The Virgin's Promise kind of takes the premise of the hero's journey and applies a more feminine perspective to it in a way that fills a lot of those holes and presents this very different view of what stories can be like that, when I first read it, immediately made me think back to Daughter of the Forest to the whole um sort of all of Juliet Marler's books because it it sort of made sense of, oh, so it's it's still the sort of beats of this hero's journey of sort of leaving your known world behind and venturing out into the unknown, facing sort of, trials and tests that force you to grow as a person and sort of gain some reward or skill so that you can then come back to either metaphorically or literally come back to your home or your starting place and sort of better the world through what you've gained or what you've learned. The hero's hero's journey though is about doing that in very physical ways. It's about war. It's about fighting. It's about, you know, subjugating sort of evil in in this very literal way um whereas the heroine's journey uh sort of as discussed in the virgin's promise is much more internal the character doesn't necessarily have to even leave their physical starting place it's more about you know you're starting in this place of feeling very very unknown of who you are you're very much living based on other people's sort of dictate living based on their view of you and sort of stepping out some trigger happens in your life that pushes you out to sort of uh view yourself in a different light and through tests and challenges you gain a deeper understanding of who you are as a person and thus what your world is and are then able to sort of return to your starting place and sort of share that wisdom that you've gained in order to make the world a better place in order to sort of overcome the conflict of the story and it is a more inward looking it, it's a more inward looking way of telling a story um, and i think it's an incredibly powerful one and so kim hudson sort of lays out all the different beats of this of this framework um and for anyone who is kind of a little nerdy about storytelling or wants to maybe understand the books they're reading sort of what's going on behind the scenes um this is a great book to do that especially if you read Circe or you read Daughter of the Forest because you'll you'll read those and then you'll read this book and be like I see exactly how that was happening like and as a reader if it's done well you never really notice it consciously but as a writer you know something I talk about a lot with and something you mentioned when we were when I sort of had the tangent about genre readers probably should never notice these things consciously because they're just in the story. They're just enjoying it. But as a writer, our job is to sort of take what we've learned subconsciously as a reader and step back and put it to words, you know, figure out what's happening behind the scenes. What are the frameworks that are being used so that we can then take our own ideas and and also sort of consciously put them out there in a way that's really satisfying to read. but I also know plenty of readers who are just like no interest in writing a novel. They just, they love the nitty gritty of all of this. Um, and so for them, they would also probably really enjoy this book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like as you were saying that and what you were talking about, I, it resonated, I feel like it made me think of my own life. Right. Right. The experiences Mm -hmm. that I've had and the experience that have changed me, right. These little triggers in my life that have, I've been on a different trajectory than I ever thought my life would be. And, um, And it's more been an inward experience. So when Mm -hmm. you're saying that, I'm like, wow, that like even resonates just in my own life and what I've lived so far. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I was thinking about is as a reader or, you know, a consumer of film, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like what you're saying, right, of the hero story, and it's like the same storyline. Like, I do feel like I will, you know, I'll get this impression of all these books seem the same to me and you get kind of bored with them. Mm -hmm. So I think that from this perspective, right, it's offering a very fresh, new way of looking at something. And I think that would be sometimes what we're looking for, right, is something new, something to kind of change things up from our typical um, and so we're not becoming bored Mm with things. So I would love to read this.
1: (laughs) I think you would really enjoy it. Um, It's, you know, it's interesting. You know, I I sort of talked about the hero's journey as this more like male perspective, this more masculine journey, and the heroine's journey as a more feminine perspective, more inward looking. But sort of an important caveat to all of that is that plenty of male characters follow the heroine's journey and plenty of female characters follow the hero's journey. The the terminology is sort of antiquated in that way. There's probably better words to use, but that's just sort of what still is used uh, in sort of that common language. And, you know, for instance, um, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games, Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, uh, Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon, Mulan from Disney's Mulan. All four of those characters follow the hero's journey, like, beat by beat to a T. Sure. Um, you know, if you, as a writer or sort of as an editor, pulling those stories apart and sort of seeing how how each beat happens, they are almost perfect mirrors of each other.
0: Hmm. I never thought but about that. They're
1: all yeah, they're but they're all and that's not in any way to discount them. They're all sure. unique stories. They're all satisfying in their own ways. They all have their own unique quirks and their characters have slightly different sort of experiences and struggles that they face. But the overall sort of trajectory of the story is very much that classic hero's journey of them sort of going through each of these beats. Um, and it's a very physical story, you know, it's very much physically facing conflict and physically overcoming these challenges versus, um, Moana is a good example that I imagine people will be familiar with. Moana is the heroine's journey. It's that same sort of, it's that same overarching, like going out, you know, leaving your known world, going out into the unknown, experiencing challenges and learning something. But whereas, you know, Luke Skywalker gains his father's lightsaber and, like, gains effectively a small army and goes out (laughs) and destroys the Death Star. Moana goes out and gains a deeper understanding of who she is as a person, where she fits in her society, and how she can guide them forward. And so she sort of takes that more inward-looking journey and is able to come back. And they both have the same effect on their world. You know, Moana comes back and is able to sort of guide her people to prosperity. Luke comes back and is able to sort of defeat uh, this sort of looming uh, looming fascist threat effectively <laughs> uh, and sort of bring an era of peace. Um, but they just sort of approach it in different ways. And so that's sort of, the heroine's journey and the hero's journey are not polar opposites. They sort of weave in and out of each other um, they just look at they look at the conflicts these characters are facing in slightly different ways.
0: Sure. Yeah. Oh, that was so beautiful. I have found this so informative because it's things you're saying and I'm like, I get that. But it's mm-hmm. things I've definitely never thought about. So thank you so much for that. It's been really fun.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. This is like, I have to bless my partner's heart. He has to listen <laughs> to me nerd out, out about this all day. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes he's just like, I, I know, yes, the heroine's journey is very good. I know. <laughs> Please let me go back to my game of solitaire. I'm like, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so it's fun to chat with someone who that's all fresh to them and they're like, Oh, I'm not sick of hearing you talk about this. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So is life, right? They have to yeah. hear us go on about our tang our tangents for sure. Always. Um Okay. So that was The Virgin's Promise by Kim mm-hmm. Hudson. And then how I like to end our show is what I call bonus pairings, which are just a speed round of questions here. So you can mm-hmm. answer these really quick. So where is your favorite place to read? Oh,
1: man this sound weird. I really like reading in like
0: closets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's small, it's dark, it's cozy. It's nice. You just stuff a bunch of pillows in the bottom of a closet and just hang out. I've been doing that since I was like six. So it's sort of a habit that I never broke.
0: Yeah. It Um, sounds like a fort of sorts. Yeah.
1: You know, it's nice to shut out the world. If if I'm going to be sitting down and reading for a full day, which I don't get to do often, but occasionally I'll carve out like a a weekend. I'm just going to finish a book. Yeah, It's nice to just sort of curl up in a dark, quiet space and just experience a book.
0: I love that. I've never mm-hmm. gotten that answer before. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so forts listener's gonna be like <laughs> Is this man
1: like four like is this man like four? What are we talking about here? <laughs> Try it, keep, guys. You've got to keep forts. the kid in you for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And then what is one book you have read that has changed your life?
1: Um not a novel, but Factfulness by Hans Rosling.
0: Okay. Um
1: nonfiction, but it is about it is about understanding how humans are biologically wired to perceive the world and how that affects how we believe or don't believe things. And it is truly fascinating and has affected like every aspect of my life. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a surprisingly easy read for how dense that sounds. It's a very easy read. He was a, um, a, sort of doctor, I believe, for the UN for many years. So every chapter is starts with a story of some absolutely bizarre experience he had, like, you know, being served whole rats, like in the jungle of the Amazon, and tricking, tricking his friend into eating his so he didn't have to like all these shenanigans. And it's all these interesting stories that he's telling. But on the back end, he shows you how it how it explains sort of a bias or a, a sort of way that our our brains are wired to believe certain things. Um okay. it's it's great to read. Highly wow. recommended.
0: That sounds really interesting. Thank you for sharing that one. And then are you a rereader?
1: Yes, I am a I'm almost a rereader more than I'm a I'm a reader. I think it's because of my job. I read new stuff all the time. For sure. But when I want to just read for fun, it's just nice to go back to something that I know. Um I've probably read Daughter of the Forest like 12 times oh <laughs> over goodness, the years. It's it. so good.
0: Okay. All right. And then lastly, what are you reading next?
1: So that's a good question because you've caught me at the tail end of a book. I actually just finished uh, just finished a novel and uh, the first gr- girl child, I believe by, oh, I don't know her name. I feel terrible. The first girl child, great book. Okay. Highly recommended. We'll have it in
0: the uh, show notes. Uh, I'll, I'll track worry. down her name for you. <laughs> okay. um,
1: but I just finished it and I'm in the middle of moving across states. So oh my goodness. Okay. life is very hectic. Everything's packed away. Um, and so I'm not sure what I'm gonna read next. If you have any recommendations, I would uh, hit me with them because I'm I'm sort of I'm in limbo at the moment.
0: Yeah. Are you gonna be driving? Do you need audiobook style recommendation?
1: I'm actually not an audiobook person. I'm I'm old okay. school, like I like to read. Um so We'll be doing a lot of driving. I unfortunately cannot read while driving. I get motion sickness. It's a travesty with how much I drive. I think about all the books I could read. Um, but but I will definitely be sort of curling up in an empty office, sitting on a cardboard box to read because we have no furniture at the moment. Um
0: I know that light. Life... Something
1: light. Something something life. encouraging. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I'll think on that and I'll get back to you with a recommendation for sure. I would love that. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's precious and I appreciate all you've given me. And I want to wish you the best of luck with your move coming up.
1: I really appreciate that. that uh, this was a great... A great, a great thing to focus on other than packing and hiring an HVAC technician. (laughs) Yes,
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you again.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for
0: having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation today with Lewis Jorstedt and his book flight of historical fantasy. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at bookishflights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.